Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Oh, yes! And the Ice Bears win 3-2 in overtime! Welcome into the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. I am Joel Silverberg. Thank you for checking out the KIV pod, whether you're doing so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And whether you're a longtime subscriber or this is your first time checking us out, thank you so much for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. A lot to react to. Knoxville got the season started on the road with two games at Macon. They turned their attention to Birmingham for a home-and-home this upcoming Friday and Saturday. Birmingham, like Knoxville, a pair of losses to start the season. So a lot to kind of recap over the first two days of the SPHL season. Where do we begin? Well, on Friday, Knoxville made its way down to Georgia and kind of recapping how that day started. The team had to get up really early on Friday, loaded the bus at 530 in the morning. The intention was to get down on around some time in the mid morning, around 1030 on Friday. Team gets a morning skate in before lunch, gets back to the hotel to rest and ends up having an opportunity to go and and be ready for the game on Friday night. Instead, Atlanta traffic happened. The morning skate did not happen. The team ended up grabbing lunch, going back to the hotel, trying to rest up, and then having to get back to the rink and gear up and get ready. And I thought through the first 40 minutes of the game, teams were pretty evenly matched. I thought you saw a lot of opportunities for both sides. I thought both goalies were forced to make a lot of high-quality saves. I thought Derek Bedabu had a lot of really good stops in the first two periods for Knoxville. I thought Josh Boyko had an excellent night for Macon. But in the third period, after Rex Moe and Brady Florent had scored in the first and second period, respectively, it's tied at two going into the third. Alex Cohen comes out, scores 45 seconds into the third, and it's all Macon from that point on. Tanner Nagel, Tommy Municello, and Jake Goldowski all scored within four minutes of each other to make it uh, six to two. And then Goldowski added one more for good measure late. So a a four-point night for Goldowski, a four-point night for Alex Cohen. And Macon puts up a five spot on Knoxville in the third period alone and wins the game 7-2. to So Knoxville makes some adjustments, focusing on what it needed to do in the defensive zone. And Knoxville was much improved in that area. I thought Macon was a little bit frustrated offensively throughout the majority of the game. But Macon was able to do on Saturday what it did on Friday, and that was shot shut Knoxville down offensively in the third period. So the Ice Bears had 28 shots on goal through the first two periods on Saturday, just seven shots on goal in the third. Jimmy Perita, Knoxville's former goalie, had a really solid night in net, stopping 34 or 35 shots. I thought Christian Stead looked really, really sharp in his first game. I think playing in Australia over the summer, getting reps during the SPHL offseason really helped Stetter stay crisp year round. And I, and he's had, you know, a a sizable break in between the end of the AIHL and the start of the SPHL. Didn't think Stead looks tired. I thought he looked really, really good in net. And the only two goals that beat him on Saturday in that two to one loss 
a one-timer by Michael McChesney on the power play where C.J. Hayes kind of drew the penalty kill in towards the high slot, slipped the puck out to the left circle. McChesney gets off a quick one-timer, and it's not the most advantageous scenario for Knoxville's goalie. And then Hayes scores on a breakaway when Municello finds him on a stretch pass up the right side. So a power play goal on a one-timer and then a breakaway goal in the third period was all that could get by Stead on Saturday. So... I think that's the bright spot for the weekend. I thought Stead looked really solid. I thought Knoxville did a good job at making adjustments because Macon had more shots on goal as the game went along. But for the most part, they were really limited to to perimeter shots and, and not the most quality chances. And when Macon had some high quality chances, Stead looked really good. He denied Hayes on a three-on-one after Riley Robertson accidentally crashed into one of his forwards and it resulted in a breakout for Macon. Um, there was a couple of other opportunities from the slot where Stead looked really good. Uh, there was a beautiful sliding kick save off a great cross-ice pass by Macon that Stead was able to get a pad on. And so while Perita had to make more saves on Saturday, I thought Stead had to deal with a higher degree of difficulty a little bit more. But I thought for the most part, Macon did its part defensively to limit what Knoxville was able to do on offense despite 35 shots on goal. And all in all... You, you take away the positives from opening weekend and Macon is a much better team than last year. I don't want this to look at, oh, Knoxville, you know, got outscored nine to three over two games to a team that came in 10th last year. That's not how this should really be looked at at all because we saw Macon what they were capable of towards the end of last season. It wasn't just, you know, a couple of those high scoring games against Knoxville. They were giving other teams in the league some problems between March and April. And I think everybody knew that Nick Niedert was going to be able to build something there. And it seems like some of the new pieces that he's added have been able to play a big part in his returners really stepped up. Hayes and Municello were big. I thought, you know, obviously Jake Goldowski's big night on offense. The addition of Alex Cohen has paid dividends and it seems like he's gotten his goaltender situation a little bit more solidified with guys like Boyko who had experience with Peoria last year. And then Jimmy Perito, who spent most of last season in the ECHL, and it wouldn't surprise me if either one of those guys got an opportunity up in the coast again this season, but for Macon, obviously much improved, and Knoxville has things that it needs to work on, and head coach Brent Clark certainly knows that, and I thought you saw the improvements from game one to game two where it really became a goaltender's duel, and I think if you took just about any other game this season and said Knoxville's going to get 35 shots on goal and only surrender two goals the entire night, most of the time in the SPHL, you'll take that. And sometimes you're just going to get beat by a hot goalie. Birmingham, Knoxville's upcoming opponent, has certainly dealt with that as well. And, and kind of a similar situation for both teams. Birmingham gave up seven goals in one of its games over the weekend that it lost. And it also lost a game in which it outshot its opponent. It had a 2-1 loss where uh, it opened the season against Huntsville. It was in Pelham. It was a big night for Birmingham. The Bulls were honoring Jerome Bouchard, who spent... Four years with the Bulls during the team's ECHL era. He later became the team's assistant coach, and he coached Craig Simchuk, Birmingham's current coach, when they were in Columbus together. So it was, it was a really special night for Birmingham. They outshoot Huntsville 44-22, to and they still lose the game. So both teams kind of having similar opening weekends where outshoot an opponent, lose a low-scoring battle, and then have another game that's just chaos defensively where you give up seven goals each. So which team is going to pull it together more this weekend? Both teams are getting a game at home. Knoxville will host Birmingham on Friday night at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum. That's welcome to Hockey Top Night. Tennessee baseball coach Tony Vitello, some baseball players are going to be in attendance. The UT dance team is going to be back with Smokey. That's going to be a lot of fun. 
and then they'll go to Birmingham on Saturday night for an 8 o'clock Eastern puck drop. And Knoxville and Birmingham have kind of had a weird rivalry. And and you look at the head-to-head, and you think to yourself, okay, well, Knoxville's dominated this series. And, and it's true. Birmingham has just five wins out of 29 meetings over the last five years. But I would also go as far to say that some of those games have been close, especially going to Birmingham. Things have definitely gotten weird. On a Saturday night, Birmingham knows how to get really, really loud. The Pellet Civic Complex is a really tough place to play. Uh, Knoxville found that out last year with that 8-5 to five loss when Birmingham, something crazy like four goals in the first 10 minutes. It was 5-3 to three at the end of the first. Knoxville was trying to come back and claw its way back into that one. It was just really wild. Um, there was the crazy game last year where Christian Stead had 60 saves in Birmingham. Uh, and ended up, you know, it was a really tight game until Knoxville finally broke out with a couple of goals late to make it four to one. But that was a game where the score was definitely closer than the uh, final score had indicated. Uh, there was the game two years ago where uh, kind of similar to what we saw last year when uh, with that 42 win campaign where Knoxville lost seven to four. And it just seemed like everything that Birmingham touched found the net. So definitely want to be cautious whenever you head to Birmingham. But this is a series that. Obviously, you know, with that record, Knoxville's had a lot of success in, but every year is different, and Birmingham is a different team. Now, they look very similar on offense to what they were last year, and obviously in net, you've got Austin Lotz and former Ice Bear Hayden Stewart back between the pipes for Birmingham this year. But I would also go as far to say that that's a Birmingham team that made a really nice addition with Drake Glover. I I think that's a a really probably underestimated or or maybe unassuming pickup that maybe the rest of the league's not looking at but already Drake Glover is one of Birmingham's leading scorers. Carson Rose is back. Michael Gillespie's on the IR, but once he gets healthy, man, that team is going to be even better having their best player back. So I I really think that Birmingham isn't going anywhere. I wouldn't overreact to too much of what happened on opening weekend. I, I do think some of the things that we can tell is that Macon is definitely much improved. Roanoke definitely seems consistent and it seems like Huntsville is going to continue its tradition of having really solid goaltending and defensive play. Despite the fact that Nick Latinovich isn't there, Max Milosic's not there. Hunter Vorva's not there. And you're missing a ton of really key pieces on offense with Tyler Piacentini. Now the team's head coach signed Nutkovich and Rob Dara are gone. And so there's a lot to look at where you think, okay, well maybe we do know a couple of things, but I don't think we know exactly what this Ice Bears team is going to look like. I do feel like there is more depth. Brent Clark talked a lot about that in the first weekend, especially during the pregame interviews. But I do think that there is some truth to that. And the reason why is because I think you see skill on all three lines. Obviously, you've you've got Brady flooring up on that front line. Multiple times during the weekend, you saw Gavin Yates make some nice individual efforts to get free. And I know that there are a lot of Ice Bears fans that are really upset. It appeared that Gavin Yates had scored during the second period to tie the game at one. And what ultimately was the explanation that we received was the referee, Doug Dowell, his two linesmen, and the goal judge behind the making net, none of them saw the puck cross the goal line. It doesn't mean they never saw the puck. It doesn't mean that they saw the puck specifically not cross the goal line, but the explanation essentially was that nobody really knew what happened. And they had a brief conversation. It seemed like the goal judge wasn't really certain, but he didn't see the puck cross the line. Obviously, Jimmy Paritas and Nett sprawled out trying to cover the puck. Gavin Yates was pretty confident that he scored. Knoxville thought that he had scored. From my vantage point in the booth, I could not see. 
He went, you know, so Jimmy Perita is to my right as I'm at center ice on the opposite end of the benches. Yates comes in after it makes it's a really nice move by Yates to get free, by the way. I don't want to you know express that. Not it would have been a sweet goal had it counted because it, it, you know, it's the type of thing you see on a highlight reel. So he goes to his left to try to slip the puck past Perita's right. So Perita is blocking my vantage point of the puck. So I never see it. And I called it a goal on the air when I probably shouldn't have. And the only reason I did was because Knoxville's entire team was so convinced that Yates had scored. I don't think Yates is just trying to sell it. I think Yates, in his mind, sees that the puck had gone in and Jimmy Perita doesn't really react. And, you know, the referee skates over, the green lights on. It was just, it's it's one of the more odd things that I've seen with a goal, no goal call, because it wasn't even a matter that, you know, the goal judge called it a goal and then the referee waved it off. They had a discussion and ultimately just came out and said the puck never crossed the line or that they never saw the puck cross the line. And so because of that, they can't call it a goal. So just a really odd situation. Uh, That's definitely, obviously we've seen a lot of goal controversies over the years throughout the SPHL, but that's one of the weirder ones. Now where the controversy gets added in a little bit more is this is the first time that the SPHLs had replay review. The problem is, is that only two arenas were outfitted with it. And so my only thought on that is that it does seem a little bit odd to have a pilot program where it's only in two arenas because if that game's being played in Evansville or Pensacola, we can go back and look at that. But because it's not, we can't. So if the same situation had happened in Pensacola when the Ice Flyers were hosting the Bulls, they could have you know, had a situation where they looked at it. Huntsville and Evansville played a game at the Ford Center on Saturday night that ended in the same score. It was 2-1. to one. It was a low-scoring game. If there had been the exact same situation in Evansville where it could have benefited the Thunderbolts, they could have utilized replay review to try to overturn a situation in their favor. But because it's not outfitted in Macon, you know, the Macon Coliseum can't do anything to help. The, the referee can't do anything to try to figure out the situation, whether he wants to or not. And, and again, those calls are at the referee's discretion. There are no coaches challenges, but definitely an odd situation. I will say this Knoxville scored one minute after this happened. So, you know, is it possible that Knoxville scores the goal anyway? Maybe, but keep in mind that the play is ruled that Parita makes a save and freezes the puck. So the puck is then being dropped in the attacking zone anyway. And ultimately, that is how Knoxville scored. Won a faceoff, got the puck back to Jason Price. He shoots it. It gets misdirected or it gets redirected. Perita gets a piece of it as it goes wide. It sits on the side of the crease behind the net in the trapezoid. Cole McKechnie sweeps it back to Coy Prevo, who's then able to put the puck on net for an easy goal after it. It's a nice pass by Cole. Um, Perita's a little bit out of position. He's trying to track the puck, and there's really not a whole lot that Perita can do about it. Uh, Prevo has an empty net right in front of him. So, you know, does Knoxville score anyway? Maybe, but also at the same time, Knoxville kind of gets it back by scoring so quickly thereafter. So you can kind of debate that either way. Um, Ultimately, I thought it it was more about Macon shutting down Knoxville offensively in the third period. And then, you know, Knoxville played so well defensively throughout the course of the game, five on five, and then one bad breakdown that leads to a breakaway for CJ Hayes ultimately is the deciding factor in the game on Saturday. So, you see improvement defensively, and I thought that Macon was getting a little bit frustrated. I thought Knoxville did a good job at taking away the slot, forcing Macon to shoot from the perimeter, and I think you're going to take that in, in most nights where, okay, they're going to get 30 shots, but they're really only going to have 
four or five grade A chances. Usually take that over the course of a game. I, I thought that Macon really wasn't able to generate as much of a net front presence on Saturday as they did on Friday. I thought Macon wasn't as uh, efficient in a transitional state. And I think, you know, entering the zone, I thought Knoxville did a much better job at shutting down the points and taking away the slot. And I think when you do the both of those things, you make it very difficult for an offense to set up in the zone. Macon wanted to go with speed and wanted to be able to just rush the net and throw pucks on that and crash and wasn't really able to do that. A lot of block passes, a lot of active sticks in the D zone, a lot of block shots and you know a lot of deflected pucks going away from Christian Stead. I think Knoxville wants to see that because I think it, you know, it shows an understanding that it's going to be an opportunity where Knoxville is going to be willing to chase bucks back into the corner. And I thought Knoxville was overall pretty good about the breakouts. I thought they were smart. Um, I thought Jordan Popoff had a great first weekend and, and you know, it's hard to kind of measure a defenseman that doesn't necessarily get a ton of points in a single two game set. But I thought every time Popoff touched the puck or most of the time that he touched the puck, I thought he knew when he had to make the breakout pass. I thought he, executed well when he could skate out of the zone with the puck. There were times where you saw him accelerate, get to center ice, dump and change. I thought he made a lot of really smart plays. I thought it was a good pickup for Brent Clark. And, you know, it's it's tough to know when you see a guy, okay, he played a lot of games, he's a defenseman, but he didn't have a ton of points. What does that really say about the type of player he is? It, it seems like he's a smart, steady defenseman. And we'll see how his game evolves and how much more comfortable he becomes. And maybe he tries to contribute more offensively as he becomes more comfortable in the system. But I, I thought for a first weekend, I thought Popoff was a real a real nice bright spot on the defense. And obviously having Jason Price back, he contributed offensively in both games. Seth Enzer, his you know former teammate in Pensacola, is now with him. They played together a lot this past weekend here in Knoxville. I, I thought it was a good, you know, I thought I thought there's been a couple of good additions defensively. And so I think if that continues, we'll see how the rest of the defense develops. But uh, you look at what Knoxville has offensively, as we kind of go back to those lines, you have Brady Florin up front. Gavin Yates, I think, possesses some skill down the middle. You have Justin Levesque, who's a seasoned veteran, who kind of anchored that second line. And then he and Dawson McKinney, along with Rex Moe, seem to work pretty well together, generating that first goal of the season for Knoxville. McKinney, I think, has a, a you know nice blend of speed and size, and I think he's got some skill. And then with that leadership that Levesque possesses, I think that helps aid that second line as it stands right now. And then on the third line, I think Skate Scaldi and Tyler Rolo have a ton of potential. I, I I think that's really interesting to see what those guys could provide on the perimeter. I know that those guys are hungry. Rolo had a big assist in the game on Friday that, you know, helped Knoxville jump out in front early in the second period. And I think Rolo's scrappy on the forecheck too. I, I think he does a good job at not giving up on the play. He can be a bit of a rat. And, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Andrew Ballant. I'm not saying that he's going to you know, necessarily produce Andrew Ballant type numbers, but Andrew Ballant was the type of player that, yes, he's got a good wrist shot. Yes, he's got speed on the outside. But if he loses the puck, he's not giving up on the play. He's going back to go get it. Saw Rolo do that a number of times, and it generated some good scoring chances and some odd man rushes for Knoxville because he's willing to not give up on the play is willing to try to catch up to guys. He can steal the puck away from behind without taking penalties. I thought Rolo had a nice opening weekend as well. I think Scaldi possesses some good skill that we could see evolve and develop as the season goes along. So there are some nice additions. There are some positives to take away. Obviously, Knoxville wants wins and points, and it's frustrating. You had 
two games where you were tied going into the third period and you came away with zero points. That's obviously not ideal for Knoxville, but there's still 54 games to play in the regular season. And I think Knoxville knows that. And I think the bus seemed fairly confident coming back from Macon that it can fix some things. It knows what it has to fine tune and it can hit the reset button, getting ready for a Birmingham squad that is also trying to flip the script from what happened on opening weekend. Plus, Roster moves coming up this week. Uh, if you didn't see on our social media platforms, Cam Huff has returned from Wichita in the ECHL. Uh, to be honest, we weren't necessarily expecting Huff to be back because it seemed like Wichita really liked him a lot. He played 17 games for them last year and you know came back towards the end of last season and then uh, you know ended up not being at training camp at all because he signed with Wichita during the offseason. So we thought he was going to stick up there and, and we're, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Cam got another opportunity in the ECHL at some point this season. But right now it's a very good addition for Knoxville this week, especially coming off a weekend where the Ice Bears only had three goals in two games. Uh, Huff, if you remember, he only had three points in the first 20 games of the season last year and then suddenly went on a tear where he had 21 points in his final 14 games. So he finished with 24 points in 34 games and uh, was a really, really nice top six forward for Knoxville this season. He's got a lot of speed. He's a really pure skater. He's got a heck of a wrist shot, um, and he uh, has really good stick handling ability as well, and he's worked with some of the guys that are on this team already. He, Bailey Conger, and Rex Moe last year were a really formidable line. Obviously, Conger's not in the mix as of now, but he's worked with Rex Moe before. Wouldn't surprise me at all to maybe see him work with Brady Flurin or one of these other young forwards. And so I think that Brent Clark has a nice addition that he gets to work with. The team also signed Jordan Stollard, who played in Germany last season, played a little bit in England as well. And uh, as a result, the team has released Coy Prevo, uh, who spent some time in Evansville in the past and was one of the midseason signees for Brent Clark this season. So a lot to unpack from opening weekend. Birmingham is coming off a 2-1 to loss to Huntsville and a 7-5 to loss to Pensacola on the road. So the Bulls trying to get things together a little bit as well. And I think it really feels like things feel a little bit more wide open this year. And, and, and who knows what happens as the season goes along if there are teams that stall out or just go through tough stretches. But oftentimes in this league, you can't really tell a whole lot on opening weekend. And... The past couple of years, we were able to tell a lot on opening weekend. We we knew the last couple of years that Macon was going to struggle. We knew that Vermilion County was going to struggle. Um, you know, Quad City not making the playoffs last year, I think, was probably a surprise to some people considering the talent that they had, the goaltending that they had, and the fact that they were the five seed the year before it made the President's Cup semifinals. So we'll have to see if there's another team that falls into that category. But right now, it seems like there are a handful of teams that could all be jostling for playoff seeding, much like it was last season with teams uh, three through seven for most of the season. And I, I do think that, you know, if, if Peoria is able to control its Northern rivalries with quad city and Evansville, because they play half their schedule against those two teams, then yeah, it could be smooth sailing for Peoria trying to maintain a top three seed as it has the last several years. Um, Huntsville doesn't seem like it's going anywhere in terms of its philosophy of, of just playing hard nose hockey and having solid goaltending and defense. Let's see what Evansville does. You know, it's just one game. It's the first game of the season where, you know, a good goalie 
you know, stole the game against you. Roanoke just seems very consistent. They shut out Fayetteville on opening night and then managed to hold off the marksman in overtime on Saturday. Pensacola, seven goals in your first game of the season. Not bad. Great way to start. Let's see where it goes moving forward. Again, new coaching regime there down in Florida with Rod Aldoff having announced his retirement. So, uh, so much to look forward to as the season gets going. Fayetteville is going to head to Macon, so the Mayhem are still at home to start the year. Huntsville is going to take on Pensacola. So does that high-flying offense for the Ice Flyers, how does it match up against that solid opening weekend defensive performance for the Havoc? We'll see. Roanoke goes to Quad City, so a long trip for the reigning champs, and Quad City trying to bounce back after a loss to Peoria. And then Evansville takes on the Rivermen on Friday. So we'll see how the Rivermen bounce back from uh, or continue the momentum of their opening night win against Quad City. And then Evansville, of course, trying to generate some offense after being held to just one goal on their opening night. So I appreciate you checking out the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Again, leave a five-star rating and review. Like, subscribe, follow. However you get your podcast, make sure to tune in to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast and tell someone you know about the show. We will have the call for you Friday night at 7.35 as the Knoxville Ice Bears take on the Birmingham Bulls for the team's home opener. Tickets are still available at uh, 865-525-7825 or by visiting KnoxvilleIceBears.com and getting your tickets through Ticketmaster. We'll have the call for you on 92.5 WKCE as well, the flagship station of the Knoxville Ice Bears, and you can listen for free all season long on the Knoxville Ice Bears game day app. I'm Joel Silverberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. We'll talk to you next week after Knoxville's home and home against the Birmingham Bulls.